0: Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder, assault, and hate crimes that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: What a day. I'm exhausted. Hello, Mr. Clayton, Mr. Onlet. Did you take many testimonials today? Over a hundred. And nearly everyone says they voted for Mr. Clayton. If that ballot box hadn't been stolen, he'd be a U.S. congressman right now. I still will be. If we can prove, the stolen votes
2: would have swayed the election. I just can't believe the length these Democrats went to.
1: I'm afraid that's just how it's always been in Conway County. The saying around here is, win by the rules if you can, but if you can't, just win.
2: Well, they won't get away with it this time. Mr. Womack you finished with the writing
1: desk? I was just about to turn in. Please help yourself, and
3: good luck tomorrow.
1: Thank you, sir. It's good to know there are still some honest Americans left in Conway County.
2: To my dear children.
1: Oh, Mr. Clayton! Oh, God.
0: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
4: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our first episode on John Middleton Clayton, an American politician and Republican congressional candidate who was assassinated in 1889 while investigating one of the most fraudulent elections in US history.
0: You can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at Parcast Network.
4: Some listeners have been asking how they can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is leave a five-star review wherever you're listening.
0: On the evening of January 29th, 1889, Republican politician and Congressional candidate John Middleton Clayton was staying in a small, one-story boarding house in Plummerville, Arkansas.
4: He had just sat down at a table to write a letter to his children when a shotgun blast ripped through the room's
0: window. Clayton was struck in the face and killed instantly.
4: It was a violent and shocking culmination of what had been a particularly contentious election cycle. Clayton had run for Arkansas's second seat in the U.S. House of Representatives.
0: Clayton contested the results of the election, which he lost by a mere 864 votes. He believed that the seat had been stolen from him through voter suppression and ballot tampering. In January of 1889, he traveled to Plummerville, Arkansas, to investigate, only to be killed after four days of research.
4: The sensational murder instantly became a national news story. Multiple investigations involving state and federal officials were launched, while Clayton's family hired Pinkerton detectives to get to
0: the bottom of the case. The investigations led to several popular theories as to the identity of Clayton's killer. At one point, Powell Clayton claimed to be certain that one of two men was responsible for his brother's death. Despite these efforts no killer was ever found or brought to justice.
4: For decades, one of the most famous political murders in Arkansas state history has remained unsolved.
0: In many ways, John M. Clayton's life and death are illustrative of the intense political turmoil that gripped Arkansas and the American South throughout the late 1800s.
4: John and his twin brother, William, were born on October 13, 1840, on a farm in Bethel Township, Pennsylvania.
0: From birth, politics played a major role in John's life.
4: John's father was an orchard keeper and a carpenter, and a passionate supporter of the Whig Party. He originally named his son John Tyler Clayton, after 10th U.S. President
0: John Tyler. When John was still one year old... His father fell out of love with President Tyler, who he believed had betrayed the Whig Party. John was immediately renamed John Middleton Clayton.
4: The Claytons had ten children, six of whom died in infancy. Four boys survived to adulthood, John, his twin William, and their older brothers Powell and Thomas.
0: Their father's obsession with American politics clearly had an effect on the boys, shaping their childhood and pre-teen years. All four would ultimately go on to have significant political careers. But
4: for a teenage John growing up on his father's farm, that future was too far away.
5: Paul, oh, wait! <laughs> John, <laughs> what's got you all riled up? It's true, isn't it? You're leaving? Uh, Dad let the cat out of the bag already, did he? I've got an opportunity waiting for me in Kansas. I'm going to make my fortune as a land surveyor. Take me with you. What? I can't stay cooped up on this farm anymore. Listening to Dad complain about politics. I can pay my own way. I promise. (laughs) I'm sure you can. Maybe I will take you with me. Someday. You just need to be patient. But... Trust me, John. We'll get you out of Pennsylvania soon enough.
4: Powell headed off to Kansas in search of his fortune, leaving John behind in Pennsylvania. But John wouldn't remain in Pennsylvania for long.
0: On November 6, 1860, a month after John and his twin William turned 20, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th President of the United States.
4: Before he was sworn into office, seven slave states had announced their secession from the Union and the formation of the Confederacy. The Civil War had begun.
0: John and William signed up for the same company in the 124th Pennsylvania Volunteer Infantry Regiment under Colonel Joseph W. Hawley. William became a lieutenant while John served as 1st Sergeant.
4: So John was one rank below his twin in the chain of command.
0: After an initial few months in the reserves, the 124th was eventually rolled into the 12th Corps of the Army of the Potomac. Less than six weeks later... The twin brothers participated in the Battle of Antietam.
4: Of all of the awful moments that defined the Civil War, few compared to the horrors of Antietam. John and William participated in the fighting at Miller's Cornfield, where the poor visibility caused by the corn stalks forced the soldiers into brutal melee combat with rifle butts and bayonets.
2: Come on, men! We've got the rebels on the run! John? William? What are you doing on the ground? Some reb appeared out of the corn and clocked me with his rifle butt. He was about to stick me, and then he was missed. Cannonball, they're still shelling this area. Come on, if we're going to die today, we'll do it on our feet.
4: The brothers survived the battle, but many did not. All told, 22,717 Americans were counted dead wounded or missing by the end of the battle
0: the next day john and williams company was on burial duty cleaning up the aftermath of what would go down as the bloodiest single day conflict in american history
2: by my count that's 64 for our company alone i'll trust you i can't count and swat flies at the same time this is some hell we found ourselves in will I just hope that when it's all over, it'll have been worth it.
4: Meanwhile, the twins' older brother was busy becoming a war hero. Powell Clayton was mustered into Company E of the 1st Kansas Infantry. He fought in battles in Arkansas and Missouri, eventually rising to the rank of Brigadier General. A Confederate officer who faced Powell in Missouri wrote,
3: Colonel Clayton was an officer of activity and enterprise. Clear-headed, quick to conceive, and bold and rapid to execute. His success in the field has caused him to be considered the ablest federal commander of cavalry west of the Mississippi.
0: But leadership on the battlefield didn't stop Powell from thinking about the fortune he had intended to make. While he was stationed in Pine Bluffs, Arkansas, he jumped on opportunities to invest in the region's cotton trade. By the time the war drew to a close, Powell Clayton owned one of the largest cotton plantations in the state.
4: John Clayton, on the other hand, had his mind set on other post-war ventures. Instead of investing in businesses outside of his home state, at the age of 25, John returned to Pennsylvania. There he married a young woman named Sarah Ann Zebley. Before long, the couple was expecting
0: their first child. While Sarah Ann was still pregnant, John received a letter from his older brother, Powell. He traveled to Arkansas to visit Powell's plantation.
2: Powell, this place is amazing. How did you afford it?
5: Careful investments. The problem is, now the Arkansas Republican Party wants me to run for governor. Oh, You'd be perfect for governor. Uh, but I suppose that means you'll have to move to Little Rock. Exactly. In the meantime, I'll need someone I can trust to run this place. What do you say? Me? Oh, I don't know, Powell. My family just settled. Sarah Ann is pregnant. Governor isn't the end for me, John. The Republican Party is going to be making big moves in Arkansas. If you were to join me out here, I dare say you could do pretty well for yourself. You make a compelling case. I'll do it. In
0: 1867, Powell finally made good on his promise to his younger brother. John and Sarah Ann moved to Pine Bluffs, where their first daughter, Sarah Emma Clayton, was born. John went to work overseeing his older brother's plantation.
4: While this must have been an exciting time for John and Sarah, it was also quite frightening. Arkansas had only just been readmitted to the Union, and ex-Confederates were far from eager to welcome their new neighbors. They had a word for people like the Claytons. Carpetbaggers.
0: Carpetbagger was a derogatory term for opportunistic white Northerners who moved south after the Civil War, seeking to profit from Reconstruction.
4: Of all of the carpetbagging politicians, Powell Clayton may have been the most hated and most visible in all of Arkansas. He quickly rose to become the leader of the Republican Party in the state. After finishing his term as governor, Powell was elected to the United States Senate in 1871, where he remained for six years.
0: John wrote his older brother's coattails straight into a career in politics. In 1871, he became the representative for Jefferson County in the Arkansas General Assembly. That same year, he sat on the first board of trustees of the University of Arkansas. In
4: 1873, he became a member of the Arkansas State Senate, And three years later, he became sheriff of Jefferson County.
0: Keep in mind that at this point in time, in 1876, the sheriff had much more political power than most of the sheriffs of today.
4: In addition to maintaining peace and collecting taxes, John was likely in charge of getting the county's Republicans out to the polls on Election Day. He was also likely seen as the Republican Party manager of Jefferson County.
0: And that's not all he was up to. During this period, John and Sarah Ann had seven children. Six of them would survive to adulthood.
4: John Clayton remained sheriff for the next decade, but then tragedy struck the Clayton family.
0: In 1884, John's wife, Sarah Ann, died at the age of 41. The precise cause of death was lost to history, but she was laid to rest in Bellwood Cemetery in Pine Bluffs, Arkansas.
4: At this point, John was 44 years old, a widower and a father of six. He had spent nearly two decades in Arkansas state politics, always in his older brother's shadow. However, with his wife gone, he grew more focused on his work. As he dealt with his grief, he became determined to prove himself on a
0: larger scale. In the summer of 1888... The 48-year-old John Clayton announced his bid for Arkansas's second seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. However, this ambition led to his downfall. We'll cover the tragedies that plagued this election after this. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist you should check out the ParCast original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? you picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers, and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: And now, back to our unsolved murder. In
0: 1888... John M. Clayton stepped onto the national stage by announcing his bid to represent Arkansas's second district in the U.S. House of Representatives.
4: He ran as a fusion candidate of the Republican Party and the Agricultural Wheel, a populist movement of poor farmers that had abruptly arrived on the political scene a few years earlier.
0: As a fusion candidate, John had the unenviable task of trying to appeal to three distinct groups white Republicans from the northern part of the state, African-Americans, and poor subsistence farmers. These
4: subsistence farmers had traditionally voted Democrat, but had become frustrated with the wealthy merchant banker class. Each year, the farmers were forced to take loans in the first part of the year, which then they would pay back after harvest, with severe interest penalties.
0: John Clayton took advantage of this situation and allied with the white subsistence farmers by promising restrictions on the interest rates that kept them locked in a cycle of debt.
4: In addition to these policies, John's Republican platform focused on improving infrastructure, creating free public education, and banning racial discrimination in housing and transportation.
0: His opponent in the race was Clifton R. Breckinridge, the Democratic incumbent who had held the seat since 1883.
4: While they were competitors to the public, in private, they got along well. For months, the two politicians traveled together throughout the 2nd District, frequently sharing meals and even bunking together along the way. By the end of the campaign,
0: they had become close friends. However, the mood in the rest of the district was far less cheery. Republicans and Democrats were at each other's throats across the state, and nowhere more so than in Conway County, which housed the cities of Plumerville and Moralton.
4: Understanding the political and social conditions that had been brewing in Conway County for decades is key to understanding the bizarre events of the 1888 election.
0: At the time of the election, Conway County held one of the largest African-American populations in the district, making it a prime target for Clayton's campaign. From early on in the campaign, it was targeted by both parties as a key battleground, with the potential to decide the outcome of the election.
4: Unfortunately, Conway County had been a violent place even before the Civil War, with constant political tensions between wealthy, slave-owning plantation owners in the southern part of the county and poorer subsistence farmers in the north.
0: The tensions between these communities became even more visible as the nation descended into civil war. Arkansas initially voted to remain in the Union, but later joined the Confederacy when Lincoln called for every state to send troops to stop the rebellion.
4: In many ways, Conway County can be seen as a microcosm of the tensions at play in the rest of the state. During the war, The county provided five companies of soldiers to the south and three companies to the north. It was truly a case of brother versus brother.
0: Four traumatic years of bloodshed and war created family feuds and grudges that lasted for decades afterwards. These fissions continued to deepen during Reconstruction, the period after the Civil War in which Congress instituted laws attempting to redress the effects of slavery in the newly readmitted southern states.
4: In many cases, these laws prevented former Confederates from voting or holding office. This kept a huge swath of the population from participating in politics and allowed the Republican Party— which was supported by the newly enfranchised African-American population, to seize control. Arkansas Democrats were furious.
3: I can't believe these carpetbagging Yankees.
0: What are they doing now?
3: Have you heard about this ironclad oath? They're not going to let us vote unless we can swear that we never actively supported the Confederacy.
0: Who could say that?
3: No one. To think that our slaves... Former slaves former slaves are deciding who runs our government and now we don't even get a say, I won't stand for it.
0: What are you going to do? We already lost the war.
3: I'm gonna visit some of our free neighbors, let them know I think they should vote Democrat or not at all.
0: The disenfranchised ex-Confederates found new methods of affecting politics. Violence and intimidation became their primary tools.
4: Many of the wealthiest members of the communities took up the robes and hoods of the Ku Klux Klan, which soon became the de facto paramilitary wing of the Democratic Party in Arkansas. In
0: 1868, the tensions in the state reached a boiling point when Klan members in Lewisburg attacked two African-American brothers who were living with white women, killing one of the brothers.
4: Local black militiamen responded by killing the local Klan leader. From there, the situation rapidly devolved into all-out war. Powell Clayton, then the governor of Arkansas, instituted martial law in 14 counties and effectively quashed the spread of the Ku Klux Klan.
0: From that moment onward, Democrats and ex-Confederates in Arkansas harbored a deep resentment and hatred of the Claytons.
4: In 1874, the brothers became involved in another, even more surreal conflict when two Republican candidates for the governor's office, Joseph Brooks and Elisha Baxter, disputed the election and each refused to submit to the other.
0: Powell Clayton and the Republican Party had initially backed Elisha Baxter but switched to supporting Joseph Brooks when Baxter started to court Democrats and refused to issue state bonds to finance railroad construction within Arkansas.
4: John sided with his brother and became a Brooks supporter. When he learned that fighting had broken out between the governor's supporters, he raised a militia of men from Jefferson County and marched them to Little Rock to join the fray.
0: The two forces barricaded themselves in buildings down the street from each other. For a month, the state capitol was in a state of chaos, with frequent skirmishes between roaming mobs of drunken militiamen.
4: Two hundred men were killed before President Ulysses S. Grant stepped in to proclaim Baxter the rightful governor of Arkansas.
0: To many observers, Grant's decision was seen as capitulation to the Arkansas Democrats and signaled the de facto end of reconstruction efforts in the state. Before the year was up... A new state constitution was drawn, bringing an end to the ironclad oath.
4: With ex-Confederates able to vote again, Democrats were back on top. They would maintain a firm grip on virtually all state offices and congressional seats for a decade.
0: That grip began to slacken again in 1884 with the rise of the Agricultural Wheel Party, The price of cotton had been steadily falling for some time and many poor white Arkansas subsistence farmers had begun to believe that the wealthy landowning class was taking advantage of them.
4: At the same time that Arkansas Republicans were allying with the poor white farmers, African Americans were migrating to the state and particularly to Conway County in huge numbers. In
0: 1870, African Americans made up a mere 8% of Conway County's population. By 1890, they accounted for 40%.
4: For the first time in a decade, Democrats saw their control of local government starting to slip. They would do whatever they could to maintain power, including election tampering and outright assassination.
0: In the years before Clayton's run, Conway County was home to countless cases of flagrant ballot stuffing, African-American voters were chased away from the polls with threats and violence. It was into this volatile climate that James Clayton stepped when he decided to run for Congress.
4: After Clayton's long and contentious campaign cycle, Election Day arrived on November 6, 1888. Early in the morning, the Republican election judge, George Baker, was on his way to open the polls in Moralton when he ran into a neighbor who appeared to be wildly drunk.
3: Try and kick me out, sons. uh, I'll show them.
1: Sir, are you alright?
3: You. I'll show you to insult my mama. What are you? Sir,
1: please, don't! (laughs) (laughs) Help! Somebody help! What's going on here? Constable, thank God. I was just on my way to open the polls when this man attacked me. He's drunk out of his mind. Is that true? No,
3: Constable. I haven't had a drop. I was just on my way to the polls to place my vote for Congressman Breckenridge when Mr. Baker attacked me. What? That's ludicrous. I've heard enough. You're both under arrest. But
1: but he's lying. Wait, I have to open the polls. With Baker
4: sitting in the county jail, a militia of Democrats marched to the courthouse and took control of the election, placing their own judges in charge.
0: Meanwhile, only a few miles down the road in Plummerville, things were getting even more heated.
4: By 1888, Plummerville had the largest African-American population in the county, with blacks outnumbering whites two to one. This made it a crucial city for John Clayton's campaign and a prime target for vote-tampering by Democrats.
0: The day before the election, the sheriff swore in over a dozen new deputies. He claimed the purpose was to ensure a fair election and an honest count.
4: But his explanation is a little hard to buy, considering that all of the new deputies were Democrats, and several had been accused of ballot-stuffing and election-tampering in the past.
0: These new deputies quickly moved to prevent two appointed black Republican judges from opening their polling places and replace them with white Democrats.
4: They were not, however, able to remove Charles Wall, a white Republican judge who had been selected to oversee the vote count. After a day of collecting votes, Charles Wall and the Democratic election judge sat down to a hurried dinner before counting the votes.
5: Unbelievable what went
2: on today. Oliver Bentley and his scoundrel deputies were outside my polling place all day, scaring freedmen voters off. Despicable.
3: Can't blame them for being enthusiastic. I'm going to go find a candle and paper so we can start the count. You've got the ballot box?
2: I'm not taking my eyes off it.
3: Good. If anything happens to it while I'm gone, I'm not responsible.
2: What was that supposed to mean?
3: Y'all started counting yet?
1: That sounded like Bentley.
4: Just as the Count was preparing to get underway, four armed men wearing rubber rain slickers and kerchiefs over their faces rushed into the hotel. What is the meaning of this?
2: Up against the wall or I'll blow your brains out. How dare you interfere
4: with a federal election?
3: Hand over the ballot box, dammit. We will show you how Conway County goes.
4: The men seized the ballot box and poll books and fled the hotel, disappearing into the night.
0: Because the stolen box was from Plummerville, the most heavily African-American city in the county, it was presumed that it would have gone heavily for the Republican candidate.
4: But without the actual ballot box, there was no way to know for sure. In the end, without those ballots counted, John Clayton lost by a mere 846 votes.
5: John What is it, Powell? We just got word from Little Rock. Governor Hughes certified the results. So it's over. I lost. You were robbed. There would have been enough votes in that box to give you the win. Forget the irregularities in the rest of the county. You're right. All we have to do is prove it. You want to contest the election? These Democrats have made a mockery
2: of Arkansas's elections for long enough. Now they think they can tamper with a federal election? I'd say it's high time. Someone held them accountable.
0: That winter, John Clayton began making preparations to appeal his loss to Breckinridge.
4: It's hard to blame him, considering the election's many irregularities and the narrow margin. He'd lost by less than two-tenths of one percent of the total vote.
0: His first step was to hire a Plummerville man to go door-to-door, collecting names of citizens who had voted Republican.
4: The Republican Party announced that it would award $1,000 to anyone with information about the ballot box theft. With inflation, that would be over $25,000 today.
0: The Plummerville Democrats, who had been behind the ballot box robbery, started to worry that they had gone too far. While intimidation and ballot stuffing had become the norm in local elections in Conway County, interfering in the election of a U.S. congressman was another matter.
4: Meanwhile, Republicans had secured both the presidency and a majority in Congress in the November 6th election, making the threat of a federal investigation a real possibility, especially if John Clayton refused to let things lie.
0: We'll hear about the attempted cover-up in response to John Clayton's inquiries after this.
4: And now, back to our unsolved murder.
0: After the November 6, 1888 Conway County elections for representing Arkansas's second congressional district were contested, Democrats and Republicans alike took action. John Clayton and the Arkansas Republican Party began to investigate the irregularities. Meanwhile, Plummerville Democrats launched their own campaign to silence any potential witnesses.
4: Charles Wall, the election judge who had been held at gunpoint by the ballot box thieves, testified that he had recognized the voice of the sheriff's chief deputy, Oliver T. Bentley.
0: Oliver Bentley was a thin, wiry man in his early 30s. He was remembered by his grandson as having many peculiar habits, such as writing a diary in code and always eating his dessert before his meal.
4: Continuing their flagrant disregard for truth and law, the Conway County Democrats responded to the allegations of election tampering by placing Bentley on a committee tasked with investigating the election fraud.
0: As you might guess, that committee revealed nothing about the robbery, but Oliver Bentley was still in hot water.
4: In late November, Oliver's older brother George was spotted in the presence of Pinkerton detective Albert Wood,
1: George Bentley. Who's asking? Detective Albert Wood. What did you want to see me about? The Plumerville Ballot Box business on November 6th. What do you know? I know a lot. A hell of a lot. The identity of the thieves? Maybe. But before I say anything, I want to guarantee that I'll be protected. And I want that $1,000 reward. Hmm. I'll see what I can do.
0: We can't know for sure whether George Bentley would have given up his brother because he never got the chance.
4: On November 27th, only three weeks after the election, Oliver Bentley took his brother to visit a saddle shop in Moralton.
0: The shop was owned by William Wood, no relation to Albert Wood, another of the sheriff's deputies who had ridden with the brothers on election night.
3: Hey, Oliver. Hey, George. Howdy, Will. Oliver wanted to come by and see the new Smith & Wesson. Just got one in. She is a beauty. Y'all heard the news? Jim saw a Pinkerton fella snooping around. No, I hadn't heard. Must be looking for witnesses. Can't imagine they'll find any here. Not in Conway County. Right, George? Careful where you point that thing, Oliver.
1: Oliver!
0: According to reports, oliver bentley was examining a smith and wesson revolver when the gun accidentally went off shooting his older brother in the head and killing him instantly
4: oliver must have been very clumsy because he accidentally shot george five times
0: well in any case george was no longer around to turn state's witness but that still left the matter of charles wall the election judge who had recognized Oliver Bentley's voice.
4: In mid-December of 1888, two weeks after George was gunned down in the saddle shop, Charles Wall was playing cards with some of his Democrat neighbors in a Plummerville saloon.
2: Fold, and that's
5: it for me. Looks like it's
2: almost midnight.
5: Uh, one more hand, Charles.
3: I'll go easy on you. Ha! <laughs> Maybe one more. And one more drink. Hey, watch it there. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I got it all over your seat, too. Here, let's just switch chairs.
0: Around midnight, one of the Plummerville Democrats changed seats with Wall, placing him near a
3: glass door. Two pair. Ha! Flush! (sniffs) Ah, my ear! Charles, are you all right? Get away from me!
2: You! All of you! You tried to kill me!
4: Not long after they had changed seats, someone outside fired in through the glass door.
0: The bullet grazed Wall's neck and tore off his ear. Wall sprinted out of the building as fast as he could, and the next day he fled to Little Rock, never to return.
4: Wall accused the men he had played cards with of attempted murder, but none of them were charged.
0: None except Wall himself, that is. A Conway County grand jury later indicted him for gambling, while paid a $10 fine rather than return to the city and fight the charge.
4: With the local Democrat government backing the ballot box thieves, it seemed that they would never be brought to justice.
0: But for Bentley and his ballot-snatching comrades, it was too soon to celebrate.
3: Where's Tom, Hervey? Tom, have you seen the paper? Calm down, Bentley. What's got you riled up? it's clayton again i told you i don't give a damn what powell clayton has to say not powell john look at the headline john clayton heads to conway county to investigate election it says he intends to take depositions to prove that box was full of votes in his favor let the carpetbagger come we'll send him back in a wooden overcoat
0: while the plummerville democrats were preparing for john clayton's arrival Many of his Republican colleagues were attempting to warn him against the visit.
5: Are you sure about this, John? After what happened to Charles Wall? I'll be fine, Powell. An electoral
2: judge is one thing. They're not going to move against a congressional candidate. Especially not with
5: Harrison about to be signed in as president. I still think you should steer clear of Plummerville. You can take your depositions in Moralton. It's the Plummerville voters I want to speak to most. And they're not going to come to Moralton. You should at least take protection. The
2: voters aren't going to come forward if I'm surrounded by armed guards. I'll be fine, Powell. You'll see.
0: John Clayton arrived in Conway County on January 25th of 1889, two months after the stolen election. He was accompanied by Aaron Middlebrook, a black deputy sheriff from Pine Bluffs.
4: Middlebrook went ahead to deliver Clayton's luggage and secure a room at Plummerville's Seoul Hotel. When John arrived that night, the hotel owner, John Sims, turned him away.
2: Sorry, Mr. Clayton. I'm afraid we're full up. You've got to be joking. Middlebrook, I thought you said you secured a room. I did. Your bags are already
5: inside.
1: That's right. Almost forgot.
2: Here they are. I don't understand. If my bags were in the room, you obviously have one. Sorry, sir, but my wife is sick, and we just can't put anyone up. You mean you can't put me up? I can recommend a great spot. House of Mrs. Marianne McRaven. Just up the road. You can't miss it. Sure, thanks for your help. Come on, Little Brook.
3: Wait, Mr. Clayton, there's something wrong here. I've been listening to folks all day, and they're not happy you've come. I think we should go back to Pine Bluffs before something bad happens.
2: I'm not leaving until I've had a chance to talk to the people here. But I think you're right. We should be careful.
4: Middlebrooks's advice might have saved John Clayton's life if he had listened. Instead, he continued on to Mrs. McCraven's boarding house, a one-story building at the edge of town.
0: Clayton still maintained some level of caution as he slept each night in a long windowless hallway rather than the corner room with a large window that had been reserved especially for him.
4: For the next four days, Clayton and a notary by the name of W.D. Allnut interviewed over 100 Plummerville citizens. Most were African American and nearly all confirmed that they had voted for Clayton. However, the local Democrats wanted to keep this information from spreading. And by Clayton's fifth night in Plummerville, they were determined to move against him.
0: Well, much later, W.D. Allnut and E.H. Womack, a salesman who was also staying at Mrs. McRaven's boarding house, provided testimony to Congress describing the night of the murder.
1: After dinner on January 29, 1889, Clayton spent nearly an hour pacing back and forth through the room while speaking with Allnut. We were both excited by the success we'd had in taking testimonials that day, but we were also staggered by the lengths his opponents had gone to to prevent a fair election. Clayton had just sat down to write a letter to his children when I heard the blast. It shattered the glass, shredded the curtains, and blew out the room's only lantern. Allnut was startled and ran for the door, but he was so overcome with fear and panic that he couldn't find the doorknob to open it. When I finally realized the shooting had not continued past the initial shot, I turned back to search for Mr. Clayton. I could just make out the shape of his body in the firelight. His chair had toppled backwards, but he hadn't moved at all. Looked like he was still seated, despite lying flat on his back. The shotgun blast had nearly decapitated him.
4: Perhaps John Clayton had never managed to step out of his older brother's shadow in life. But in death, he eclipsed him. The assassination turned him into a nationwide celebrity. More than 5,000 mourners attended his funeral in Pine Bluffs, Arkansas.
0: Conway County was far from out of trouble. Rather than bringing an end to the controversial election... Clayton's death sparked several inquiries and investigations by federal and state investigators, newspaper journalists, and Pinkerton detectives.
4: Yet, despite their efforts, John Middleton Clayton's assassin would remain at large indefinitely.
0: Next episode... We'll try to narrow down the identity of John Clayton's Shooter while exploring the theories that resulted from the many investigations into his death.
4: Including one confession that pointed to none other than England's Jack the Ripper.
0: You can find Unsolved Murders and all of Parcast Shows on Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at Parcast Network.
4: And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is by leaving a five-star review, wherever you listen. Thank you so much for listening.
0: We'll see you next time.
4: If we live till next time.
0: Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kerry Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Unsolved Murders is written by Andrew Kelleher, and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, in alphabetical order, Mike Kaposi, Sky King, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, Brett Schneider, Jack Shulruff, and Mani Brayman.